We are in Philippians chapter 2. We have a great text this morning. Verse 25 of Philippians chapter 2. We meet an interesting guy here. Let me read it to you. It says, Paul speaking, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Uh, there's really a ton of stuff in this verse and, and the last verses of chapter 2. We don't have time to look at everything. Um, but one thing that is worth meditating upon this morning um, and today is the continual idea that we've been seeing in this epistle of how all the characters in this letter are constantly thinking of others. They're not only thinking of others more than themselves, but others, you know, in a sense, completely above and instead of themselves, whether it's the Philippian church or Paul or the other people that we've been seeing. There's such a focus on thinking about others. I just want to pause on that for a moment because there's such a strong theme in this book um, regarding focusing on others and not ourselves. It's this mindset that propels a person forward in their walk with Christ. You know, and so if Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and then to love your neighbor as yourself, then looking within, we should find a, a mindfulness of others. Not perfectly, you know, we're not perfect, but we should find it evidently. You know, this has been the focus of many of the verses of the two chapters that we've made it through so far in Philippians. And so the personal application is that you know, we are called as Christians to have a love for God and a love for others and that that should be evident in our lives. And if it's not, then we need to find out why it's not and adjust our thinking and adjust our behavior accordingly. But in our text this morning, we get a little bit more insight into what it means to walk a life with Jesus, what it means to actually live out the Christian life, where our Christianity is not an adjective, but is actually a verb. We're given the example of this man, Epaphroditus, who's uh, who Paul has some remarkable things to say about, not only here, but also to the end of chapter 2. Um, so much of God's Word is, is an example to us. You know, when we think of the famous Bible characters or our you know, favorite you know, stories in the Bible, we immediately remember specific situations and instances that have been preserved for us as an example of either what to do in a situation or what not to do in our efforts to follow the Lord. Uh, for example, if an angel comes to you and tells you something is going to happen that you think isn't very probable, here's what not to do. <laughs> we have a couple of really good examples of that. If your government sets up an image and commands that you should worship it, here's what you should do. There's, that's a good example as well. Here's one. If you're on the rooftop and you see a woman bathing in her house, here's what not to do. And what happens if you do that. The examples. That's what we get so often in God's Word. You know, even Jesus used examples to teach both his disciples and the multitudes while he was on the earth. He used parables. In fact, during a period of time, the Gospels say that he didn't speak to them, to the people, the multitudes, unless he was speaking in a parable. Uh, he used similes. He used metaphors. He used these sorts of illustrations and, and uh, to teach people things. And these cases that we find in the Bible are intended by God to teach us things about our life here on the earth. And our relationship with him. It's not just a history narrative. It's more than that. It's a teaching example. And so this morning, since we are men who desire to love God and to live out our calling as disciples, our example is Epaphroditus, the Philippian Christian, who did attain uh, that calling. 
He had been sent by the church in Philippi to bring Paul financial support after hearing that he was imprisoned in Rome and awaiting trial. Now, not only that, but he was also charged with then attending to Paul and serving him as a helper. Uh, This is a job that was incredibly dangerous and incredibly risky because not only was travel unbelievably difficult in that era, but Epaphroditus was going to have to go and stand with a man who was on trial with the possibility of capital punishment. And if we know anything about uh, you know, the rule of dictators and Caesars, it's that you know, a person who stood beside a prisoner like that was uh, uh, in great danger of being sentenced alongside them. And um, we see examples of that um, throughout history, but especially throughout the beginning uh, centuries of the church. Now, in fact, Paul even points out that at his first trial, everyone deserted him and none stood with him because of the danger that it would have meant. And so that was the, the situation that Epaphroditus was sent into. And his church had sent him to support and to serve and to stand with Paul. Now, that was some time before we read this. And so here's what we see now in verse 25. Let me read it again. Paul says, Yet I considered it necessary to send you... Uh, send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Paul was sending his Philippian friend back home to serve the church which had sent him out. Many scholars believe that Epaphroditus was actually the person who transcribed this letter as Paul dictated it to him and then delivered it to the church once he arrived back home. Uh, most people believe that he's the one that carried this message which we get to read and study about now. Now, Paul used some very interesting words to describe this man, uh, words that we can learn from and apply to our own hearts and our own lives today. So first, Paul called him a brother. Now, brotherhood is one of the closest bonds that we find between people on the earth. It's a relationship that surpasses many, many others because within two people there is a, a connection and a commonality that isn't shared with many others. There's this understanding that almost every culture has that family kinship and brotherhood is something unbreakable. It's something eternal and special. It's something unconditional. At least that's you know how we think of brotherhood in the ideal sense. You know, and we have all those sayings, you know, like band of brothers, and we have that understanding that brotherhood is something special. Now, obviously, families have falling outs from time to time, but we do have an innate understanding that. We share blood with our brothers and and that blood is thicker than water and all those sorts of sentiments that we've all heard before. And there's a powerful connection and alliance there between brothers. And this is what a Christian is to other Christians, brothers. This is what the Bible presents to us as we open its pages. We've been blood bought into the family of God and made into children of his kingdom. And so, first thing first, as Christians, we are called into this sort of care and alliance with other believers that brothers have in our culture, in you know human culture, uh, where we cherish each other, not because of what someone does, but because of who someone is, um, because of who they are in Jesus Christ. We talked about that Christian relationship last week that goes beyond acquaintance and goes beyond of, you know, what can you do for me and what can I do for you, but it's based upon something deeper and richer and based upon a spiritual brotherhood that is special and eternal and powerful. Now, second, Paul called him a fellow worker. Uh, we've not only been called into a family, but we've also been called into a field. There's work to be done, planting and cultivating and harvesting seed and sharing light and all of these sorts of things that we see 
in the Bible. Unfortunately, Jesus pointed something out about this field. He said in Luke 10, verse 2, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. And it's a, a very sad statement. There's not very many people who uh, join the work of the field. Epaphroditus had stepped out as a disciple and actually followed in his calling. He had volunteered himself to be sent on behalf of God's work, even into a dangerous situation. It's an interesting thing to look at the Gospels and to notice the multitudes when we're reading the different stories that we're so familiar with. There's always a mix of people around Jesus whenever you know he was healing or teaching or doing things. In fact, even when he was trying to be alone, you know, all these multitudes would always be flocking to him and finding him. And, and it's interesting to watch what they do and how they behave and, and their part to play in those stories. Um, but there's always different groups of people. There's the twelve. Um, then there were other disciples who weren't part of the twelve, but who followed Jesus around as disciples. Uh, then there were the scribes and the Pharisees. And then there were just the multitudes, the people who weren't evil in the sense that they weren't anti-Christ, like the Pharisees were, um, but they also weren't disciples either. You know, They were people who wanted to hear Jesus, they wanted to see Jesus, they wanted to receive things from Jesus, but they hadn't stepped forward to follow Jesus. You know, These were the people that when Christ would tell a parable and then call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, they would just say, well, I don't really get it, and, and would walk away um, satisfied to not hear from Jesus. They hadn't stepped forward to follow. They weren't among the disciples and they weren't doing the work of the kingdom. I would suggest to us this morning that this category of people continues in the church today. Um, there are those who come to hear, they listen to the word of God, but then when the service of the day is done, they rise and they leave. They choose not to actually follow the Lord as he leads them individually. Um, they're otherwise distracted by the world, otherwise inclined or occupied. They assume that someone is going to work the field of God's kingdom, uh, but they take little or no part in it themselves. Um, the field is truly great, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few, Jesus said. Now, in our text, Paul is not only commending Epaphroditus, but he's pointing out uh, the example of what a Christian and a disciple really is and what a disciple really does. We're called to listen and to labor. We're called to a family and to a field. He was a brother and a fellow worker. But then third, Paul called him a soldier. So we're called to a family, we're called to a field, and then we're called to a fight. A soldier has two major directives, if you boil everything down simplistically. Uh, his two directives are to defend and then to advance. In the scriptures, we are called to defend the gospel, to defend our hearts, to defend the hope that we have within us. We should defend Christian liberty. We should defend our fellow believers uh, there are adversaries out there, and we are equipped by God and positioned by Him to withstand attack and to shield others from spiritual harm. Now, this is a very high calling, um, but it's one that has catastrophic consequences if we ignore it. You know, um, what we need to grab hold of is that the spiritual well-being of other Christians is something that we need to be mindful of in our day-to-day -day following of Christ, whether it's through our example of not stumbling others, but then also just being involved, like we talked about last week, being involved with other Christians' lives in a meaningful way so that when they come across a difficult situation, we can help them and build them up. You know, We need to be mindful of the spiritual well-being of our brothers in Christ. But then also a soldier is charged with advancing and gaining ground. Uh, to defend is needful, but we shouldn't lay down our swords and only carry a shield. You know, We don't just brace for attack, but we also 
uh, need to think spiritually like Saul's son, Jonathan, who was a great soldier, always looking for opportunity to strike forward and gain ground for the Lord. Maybe we can go over here. Maybe we can go over here. Maybe I can attack this person. Let's see what God does in this situation. Uh, you know, we should be like that. Using God's word and the power of the spirit, we should be pushing further and further in steps of faith, seeing where God might grant us new opportunities to win souls or to establish a new spiritual work. Because we're soldiers in active duty, uh, not furlough. It's, it's combat duty on a battlefield where lives are being lost every single day. And so we as soldiers need to fight forward in faith Defending against the world and the attacks of the devil and then gaining ground as God grants us victory, bringing souls into eternity as the spirit moves through us. This is the nature of our warfare and we are called to the fight. Um, these, were the main, these are the three main descriptors that Paul used to describe Epaphroditus. He was our example this morning. And then Paul adds two more roles that Epaphroditus filled um, as a disciple. First, he was a messenger. As Christians, we understand that God has made us brothers, he's made us workers, he's made us soldiers, but he's also given us a specific message to deliver and specific people to whom he has sent us. If we are unfamiliar with the message, then we're going to find a great gap between what God wants for us and what we find actually working out in our lives. Um, imagine a man coming to your door uh, one day, maybe today, he says he has a telegram for you. He lets you know that the contents of this telegram are going to have a bearing on the rest of your life. And in fact, he says that the contents of this telegram has information that will determine whether you live or whether you die. And then you say, okay, well, read it to me. And he says, well, I don't really know what's in this telegram. And, and, and worse than that, he doesn't even read it to you. You know, he says, well, yeah, but, but there's information in here. You're going to want to know what it is. So hopefully someone tells you what it is. You know, that's the picture of the silent Christian who refuses to let their light shine. You know, we're to be people with a message that is delivered. You know, you don't have a message that you keep to yourself. The, the idea of being a messenger is that you deliver the message. Uh, that is what a Christian is. And then finally, Epaphroditus acted as a minister to Paul. Again, we see the theme of humble service and putting others before self. Epaphroditus became terribly sick while in Rome. Uh, we'll find out more about that next week. Some commentators speculate that he fell victim to the very commonplace Roman fever, um, which many foreigners would contract when they visited that city. Uh, but still, this man chose to serve. He chose to lay down self and build where God had placed him. He chose to focus his attention on the needs of the ministry so that God might be glorified. And so and he is our example today, and he's a great example. You know, this guy is... Um, this guy is solid, and we don't know much more about him, um, but he's, he's a, a wonderful example to us. You know, as a brother, as a fellow worker, as a soldier, and a messenger, and a minister. Now, these sort of heroic virtues are not reserved for a handful of super disciples, and that is a you know, common uh, thought that you know, I, I might have you know, subconsciously, that, well, these are special people, you know, and that doesn't really apply to the rest of Christendom. That doesn't really apply to an average believer, but um, this is the spiritual potency that God wants for every single Christian. You know, whether it's a Sermon on the Mount or you know any of these times where we're looking at what a Christian is, it's like, no, this is what you are, and this is what I have planned for you. And if we miss out on that, it's because it's not because God is withholding these things from us, but it's because we are failing to um, realize um, the power of His Spirit and His desire and His calling on our lives. 
And so this is the spiritual life that God wants for every single one of us. You the brother, you the worker, you the soldier, you the messenger, you the minister. You the man that God transforms and builds up to glorify himself and then to benefit this world. This is the Christian man in Christ Jesus, walking forward with him, following him as a disciple. And so to realize this sort of strength and this sort of life is as simple as laying down self, taking up the gospel, and then setting our eyes on Jesus who leads us day by day into the path of his abundance and completion. That's the deal. Uh, That's what God wants for us. And that's what we want.